Welcome to the Childhood Cancer Hall of Champions podcast. Our mission is different. We're not about numbers, cures, donations, or research initiatives. We want to dedicate our platform, childhoodcancerhall.com, and this podcast to children age 0 to 21 and their families who are affected by childhood cancer. We want to share their stories, celebrate their lives, and create a community and support network that's forever free for these families. Whether you're a child, sibling, family member, friend, or someone who wants to learn more about the subject, you are welcome here. It's a safe place where we can lift each other up, educate the public, find new language, and let the stories live on. Let the families not be defined by cancer. These are their stories, legacies, and living memorials. Justin Robinson, I am so thrilled to be sitting here with you. And for those of uh, our listeners who don't know, we had to reschedule this because I had an internet fail yesterday and you've been so flexible. And I'm so eager to hear your story as well as your brother Jordan's story. So let's pick it up and and talk about um, why you created the film, My Brother Jordan. What was it like for you? Oh, man. So Jordan's the type of guy that didn't have the spotlight on him. He was the person in the background. He was the backbone for a lot of people. He wasn't the life of the party. He often wasn't the loudest, but his laugh might have been the loudest at times and and the most pure. But Jordan was just someone that kind of did things without asking for anything in return. And my relationship with him through life and through cancer and then through his death never changed. It wasn't like an epiphany after he died going, man, he was really great. I knew before and I definitely knew after. And so I know death does a lot of different things to people individually. And for, in Jordan's case, a lot of the people around me just didn't quite know how to speak about him. And I know death is something that's not easy to talk about and not a lot of people are fluent in it and it's not taught or I think I uh, thought about enough. And for me, I didn't want to be silenced by his death. I didn't want to not know how to talk about it because Jordan was the greatest influence on my life. Without him in the family dynamic and the dynamic of life, I would have, you know, been been left on the wayside. I would have not had the gel that Jordan was that separated me from the next person. And so I wanted to to put the spotlight on Jordan by making this film and also solidify and tattoo these memories, these times, the glory days into mm-hmm. something that for me, I could watch and remember and go, my memory didn't betray me. It was as good as I remember. And Jordan was as great as I remember. And this video, th- this footage that I have, these clips are evidence of that. And it's all I have. And so normally when, when Jordan was alive, when, when you, if you had met me, you would have met Jordan. And if you would have met Jordan, you would have met me. And so obviously that dynamic is no more. So I wanted to, to keep, I wanted to make a film so I could give you the best shot that I had to let you meet Jordan if you got to meet me. So all that said, it was to put the spotlight on Jordan, someone who is like that normal person, not extraordinary. He's regular. But in those ways, he's extraordinary. And uh, I just wanted to give Jordan his props. Mm. I thank you so much for that and to hear that directly from you. And I have to tell you, when the film popped up on my YouTube feed, 
I clicked on it. I immediately was just that smile and two of you together, you have to click on it. And, you know, and I realized it, it could be a sad story. And I started reading comments and um, listening to it. But I got to tell you, this is this was my strange feeling, which was I felt I felt, wow, Jordan is this lucky guy, this very lucky brother who, because of you, uh, that was pure labor of love. And as I mentioned yesterday, having been in that position, producing such a short series with mm. very limited budget over the course of three months of shoot, most things are under control. I couldn't, I, you know, just a tremendous amount of respect I had because of my own limited experience looking into the film. I just felt, wow, Jordan is this lucky guy. You know, his spirit lives on to 12 million people and counting because, you know, you had 12 million views on that film within three months. I mean, did you did you expect this? And were you surprised by it? No, I was, you know, everything is kind of su of a surprise. COVID was a surprise. This whole year finishing it, taking eight years to, to finish it was a surprise. But people being impacted by Jordan's life and connecting with who he was was not a surprise. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I finished it January of this year, 2020, which was almost eight years to the dot. And then I was trying to figure out what to do with it because I, you know, I made this thing on my own coin. There was no production company. I had no goals of a film festival or some specific streaming network. I just wanted as many people to see them as possible. And so when COVID hit, I was kind of trying to send it out to colleagues and filmmakers to say, what do you think I should do with this? Does, does, does it have a home anywhere? And people were also kind of in the beginnings of COVID and film festivals shutting down and they were kind of losing their own minds trying to figure out what to do with their own films, let alone what to do with this super personal, sad film about this guy who died of cancer. And it just kind of didn't land anywhere. And then people would say, you know, it's really personal. It's really personal. I don't think it's going to, you know, it's, it's not universal because it's this or it's, it's 63 minutes. It should be 70. It should, it should maybe 45, you know, you should cut this character out. And I just, it wasn't that type of film because my dream, my goal as a, as a filmmaker is to make narrative feature films. This documentary was a new thing for me. But I knew that the story what it was what it was, and it wasn't something that I was willing to to leave integrity on the cutting floor to please somebody who thought you should shave three minutes off. I knew what the story was, and I told it, and it was it was take it or leave it. It is what it is. If you dig it, great. If you don't, no worries. And so I wasn't really interested in trying to please anybody by it. So if they said it was too personal to be universal, you know, uh, it's take it or leave it, and I'm out. So long story short. COVID hit changed that because my my hope at the beginning was to screen it with friends and to remember Jordan together and to remember those glory days. But that wasn't happening. So then I thought, man, the most me thing to do is to say, screw all that. <laughs> I'm just going to put it on my own Vimeo and YouTube for free. You can watch it or don't. And the people who will want to see it will find it. Yeah. And I put it out for free for number one because I, I didn't want any limitations or shields between the viewer i wanted you to be able to see his face like you did and click play without a pause there's no ads because my youtube channel is not monetized and on vimeo it's just 63 minutes and 50 seconds straight i wanted to make jordan as accessible as possible and youtube and vimeo kind of gave me that and then two weeks into its 
availability online. It started to just, I guess, it found its way into the YouTube algorithm, which snowballed like crazy into thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of views, turning into millions of views. And yeah, in three months, it hit 10 million. And since, I guess, right around 4 million, four months, we hit 12 million accounting. So it's just been, you know, an, an eye-opening crazy experience on top of the bizarre year that the world is having. And wow, it's just been something. So here we are. Isn't it a great lesson to learn? And I am controlling myself because there, I have two podcasts and the other one has been running for six years. And I've on the Face World podcast, I've spoken with so many people. And this, this part that you're sharing is so inspiring. And, um, but I gotta say what, what was it like? I mean, everything just kind of, you know, surfaced to the top because of the pandemic. And you spent eight years, eight years working on the film. I, I don't know how old you are now. When How old were you when you got started? This is a bulk. This is a big portion of your life. Yeah. So I turned 30 this year in August. So I was 22. I was a senior in college and I had a 5D, you know, a DSLR and a little lav mic and a 94 minivan I had. So I didn't have much. And I just, I knew it was the time to start scavenging and trying to tell the story. It took me a couple of years to kind of figure out the format and structure just because, you know, he died five days before his 21st birthday. So relatively 20 years is, is in some eyes, not a lot of time. And so how to structure his life, what to put in the film, what to take out. And then it took me a couple of years to own up to being in the film and showing my face and narrating it because Jordan was such a pure person that didn't draw attention to himself. And I'm more of a fashionable person. I'm, I'm a louder presence. I'm an enigma of a personality. I'm a mystery to some people. And I didn't want the naked eye to view me and, and maybe not be as invested in the film. I didn't want to be a, a fork in the road for people. I wanted to make Jordan the, the lead character. And so but it took me a while just to go, I'm the, I'm the best candidate for the job. I know what the story is better than anybody. I lived it. I saw it. I'm still living it. And it would be an honor for me to lead you to Jordan. So if you can get past who I am and go, if you see anything good in me, just look right over there. That's the guy. And so the process was eight years just because a lot of life was happening. I was trying to, you know, still make narrative short films. I was going to college. I was working and, you know, I finished the edit two years ago. So just color, sound, and music took around two years just for people helping out for free or when they can. And it was just one of those things that didn't have a specific timetable. And I think I needed to live life and mature and grow. And, you know, my older brothers got married and had kids and I ended up getting married. So there was just a lot of life that happened after his death that I think it just was what it was. You know, I would have loved to have finished it sooner just because it was such an overbearing thing that I had to shoulder mentally and emotionally for so long. But again, I was the best candidate for it. So it wasn't like I couldn't do it. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a mon monstrous project. I mean, just for the sheer hours of footage that we had from an editing standpoint, let alone the emotional toll. So it's just one of those things that I would do it again. Jordan deserved every hour, you know, that I spent on it and he was worth every hour. But yeah, it was something that I never planned to make. I wish I never had to make, but you know, mm -hmm because he died, I had to, and eight years was what it was. And here we are. So. Yeah. And you, you are his baby. And that was the one <laughs> thing. And I was like, 
cutest thing. And and it's uh, so believable too. It's, you, you know, you were this gift to him, right? Mm-hmm. So this, uh, just earlier today, right before the interview, I was walking and think about the reciprocal relationship and you're also a gift to him and you continue to be that, that character, that person in real life. So um, it just, it's so incredible that you have this gift too, to be able to make films, to be able to tell a story because it's not easy. I've been there. It sounds really good in your head. And then I sat down with my director and producers of, wait, wait, exactly. How are we telling the story? How does, how does everything come together again? How is the audience not going to be confused? Or in your case, you, you, you realize that you're this character, you have a, you know, a lot of very strong traits, how to not make it about you. And I can assure you this film I did not for a second to think that you're making it about yourself at all. But did you run into emotional hurdles where you get you feel a little gummed up to 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 feel like, oh my God, I don't know if this is the right project anymore, where I don't have the emotional capacity to really pursue it? Like, do you remember moments in these eight years? Did that ever happen? Honestly, <laughs> I want to say no, just to be completely honest, because mm-hmm. Jordan was worth it. And so I was, I had, my life had kind of prepared me for this. And there were definitely moments where it was just, like I said, a, a monstrous project. So you feel the weight of it. And I think I did a good job of trying not to look down, you know, you're on this mountain and not look behind <laughs> you. But occasionally you do and you just see the scope and you go, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> and initially, you know, I think people thought, it wasn't going to be as big or as detailed as it was. And so I, I kind of had not a chip on my shoulder, but just this awareness of I know what it's going to be. And I just don't think anybody did. I think they just, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a cute, maybe it's, it's for you. You need to, this will be your therapy and you'll get over this. And I was like, I'm making a film to honor my brother. And it was just not that it wasn't cute. It was hard work. And it was the only thing that, that fueled it was my love. And, and Jordan's not here to, to be interviewed and to go, you know, what would you have done if, it, if, if, if Justin was in your place and Jordan wasn't a filmmaker, but I can only imagine the love he would have had on the flip side because it was mutual. It wasn't just one way. So we had mutual respect, even though he was always a lot taller than me. I was very different. He was very quiet. I wasn't, I spoke my mind and he held his peace and that's why we were perfect together. So there were moments where, yeah, I mean, I had to sacrifice a lot of life, social life, relationships, and I, I'm married now, but I prolonged my engagement to finish the film. So it was a lot of things that I had to say no to, to say yes to this film. And that just, that's life. You know, you you, you pick and choose your sacrifices. You, you say, no, I'm not going to watch that Netflix show tonight. I'm going to write this thing. And that's the way, you know, it just depends on where your love is and where what you're willing to sacrifice. And for me, it was pretty much almost everything to make this film. So, because Jordan is worth it. I can imagine you had fun. I mean, there were a lot of emotional, um, it just good emotions. I, I feel like yeah. you, you felt really good during the project. And I, I can somehow just relate to that because I think your film also inspired me to maybe, you know, I've lost people in my life. I lost my cousin. He was only 37. I lost my dad, who was, mm-hmm. I want to say, only 62. Because at the time, you know, to be a 24-year-old, all my friends' dads, parents, are, you know, just did not experience this. And it was really hard, and I felt really alone. And now I'm talking to you and finding out that childhood cancer is only 3% of the cancer population. 
all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, Justin must feel so much more alone than I ever did. Um, so I want to kind of, you know, I'm kind of interested in hearing your family dynamic as well, but I want to know you were only 17, 18 years old. Um, what, I mean, what was it like for you? Because a lot of people listening to this, as you know, family and friends, you're just, you're just in shock uh, mm-hmm. for a long time, right? What yeah. was it like for you at the beginning? Man, I was talking to someone the other day because at this point, I'm writing a book about Jordan. And oh, yes. there's, uh, I started it years ago and I shelved it quite literally to, to finish the documentary. And then sometime this year, I kind of just dabbled in it. And then, you know, this documentary coming out and 60 minutes with 20 years of life, there's certain things I can't tell. And as you know, as a filmmaker, there's certain things that just don't work for pace and time. So there was things on the cutting floor and just funny stories from our life. We were, you know, white Southern Baptist preacher kids in the South. And there's a lot of quirky cinematic stories that come from that life. And I, I revisited this book and I'm, I'm deep in it now. And so I'm just kind of revisiting a lot of those memories. And one of the things like, I, I can't even, I remember a lot about Jordan's life, but I can't even remember the day I found out he had cancer. I don't even remember where I was. There's certain times because he had cancer that we know of, like when he was diagnosed to when he died, it was 13 months roughly. Mm-hmm. And there's certain parts of that that are black for me. And then there's very vivid memories, like some doctor's office thing or a, a thing a doctor said to me that that irked me. But I was just the other day, I, I was almost ashamed that I'm like, I don't remember the day. And I remember so many things, but for whatever reason, a lot of that cancerous era is, is, is black in some ways. And again, some are very vivid. So for me, I know I've heard the phrase, you know, when someone gets cancer, the whole family gets it. And I don't want to be insensitive to people mm-hmm. who have had cancer. Cause I, I don't even think I heard that phrase until after Jordan died. And I'm not saying I got cancer emotionally or whatever, but mm-hmm. certainly there was something that infected me through that experience because Jordan was healthy, did everything right by the world standards, was the best version of everyone. And we both played basketball and had this little knot and it was, you know, sort of misdiagnosed. And a lot of the doctors, I don't think we had the highest quality people in charge or it's kind of like when you go to Little Caesars or some sort of like pizza place where you just, you didn't individually order that pizza. Mm -hmm. You're just, that pizza is made for anybody. And so I feel that with a lot of doctors or, you know, offices like that, you're kind of just anybody and there's not a specificity to you. If if there was, they'd probably get your order right or the pizza would taste better because you ordered it without pineapple or without pepperoni. And I think that was kind of my experience with the doctors was that uh, there was nothing made scratch for us. And so it was definitely something. I mean, I was I was 11 days short of my 18th birthday when he died. So right before my senior year of high school and it just sent me on a trajectory to where I am at now. But yeah, I don't really... I don't have any, I don't know, I'm not sure how to sum up that experience, but I'm writing about it now. So through the documentary, I, I tried to give light to that, but there's some things that through Jordan's Cancerous Project, I never filmed. I never really filmed anything. I never stuck the camera in his face and said, Jordan, what are you thinking? How's this cancer thing going? I just never filmed. And, I, and prior to that, I'd filmed uh, almost every moment. of our lives. And for whatever reason, I never had a cognizant conversation with myself. It's just something that I just didn't do. And I think my 
preconceived notion of cancer or what's put on the movies and TV is like when, when kids especially get cancer, they just lose their hair, but they're a cute little angel and they're not like hurting physically. Mm-hmm. And Jordan was, was dying. He was dying the whole time. And what I saw, even what I smelt from his leg, the tumor, the tumors, it was something that was not cute. It was not this invisible balding cancerous pain and so that was probably one of the reasons why I didn't film I just you know I don't think you could film that and so it was definitely something that you know I don't wish on anybody and speaking of children's cancer Jordan was on the children's ward you know he was 20 years old but they had him on the children's ward so weekly we were meeting families like I remember this kid Jack he's cute little he's probably two and we met his parents, very young, first kid they ever had. And she was just giving him a bath one night and felt something on his stomach. And it turned out to be a tumor. And two weeks later, he was dead. And so they had come in and like just got diagnosed. And I met Jack. And that was just like the weekly, while we're in the hospital, you you meet Jack, you meet his parents. And two weeks later, you see them packing up their stuff. Yeah. And, you know, that's just something that is a part of this world, as heartbreaking as it is, and and something for me that I was exposed to in high school and the reality and the brevity of life is forefront and center. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question, but I mean, you, I'm still I, trying to still trying to answer it now with a book. To go, I, this is what it was like. How lovely it is to find out about the book because um, I don't want to sound too digital marketer on a on a show like this, but I it, it makes me immediately think about. My God, you got to capture these viewers in the description with a like a mm. simple email sign up because we want to read that book. This is not, mm. I wouldn't feel actively marketed to at all, but I want to stay the course. Who knows? Maybe these reader, future readers will be like, at some point, hey, Justin, where's that book? Remember mm-hmm. you're going to deliver in 2021. <laughs> We're waiting here. So there's some sort of a really positive, you know, reinforcement there. Yeah. And, um, it, but I, I don't know. It just, it, this crazy experience. I found myself in to be so involved in childhood cancer on this project, to be talking to Dr. BJ Miller, who's in the painting behind me, to understand palliative care is because I know, as you found out at some point, that medicine itself is not enough. And mm-hmm. um, and actually, you know, for me, one of the saddest thing uh, things I learned later on is my dad died at the ICU um, because we just thought, you know, he was plugged into I don't know, 20 different machines with a breathing tube. We knew he was dying. I just never knew. I just didn't know that dying at home is an option surrounded by love Mm. with certain type of medication. And I'm learning that now. So I actually don't recall the final details. Was Jordan home? um, Or, you know, what what was the dynamic like in the end? So he he died in the hospital. He... I'm not sure the term, but was pretty out of it the last few weeks. And like his eyes were glazed over. I mean, there was a few layers of glaze, it felt like, and was in so much pain. I mean, he had tumors all over his leg and it was quadruple the size of his other leg and it had spread. And my parents, I think, ultimately just didn't know what to do. It wasn't a type of uh, painless exit to this world and so what Jordan was cognizant of was he didn't really want to go to the hospital I mean no one wants to go to the hospital it's not it's not an amusement park and I don't think people go there for fun Mm -hmm. so Jordan didn't want to but we ended up doing that uh, just to like 
I think, you know, just not feeling capable of what do we do and, and what happens if, you know, we have to call someone. These are things that, you right. know, you, not everyone knows how to fix their car, let alone the kid that has cancer. So you're like, I got to call somebody that knows this. You know, I lock my keys in my car. I, I don't know how to pick a lock. I need to call a locksmith. I need to call a doctor when right. somebody's in pain. So we ended up at the hospital and, you know, we had some hospice care at home for a while in and out and helping with like all sorts of things. But it's just kind of the way it played out. And I remember, I don't know the exact time frame, but some friends of ours from Florida where we spent most of our high school and middle school had driven up and I knew pretty early on, I told my friends, hey, this is the last time you're going to see him. Yeah. So it was evident for quite a while that that even Jordan knew that he was going to die. It was not something, you know, they tried everything, even naturally. My mom was, you know, doing the juice stuff. So she's juicing them all, all sorts of vegetables and fruits and and doing everything you can. Mm-hmm. food and drink wise to help combat this insane disease. But yeah, we ended up at the hospital and yeah. No. So I, I realized that, you know, my, my dad was the same situation. We wouldn't know what to do at all, uh, how to ease the pain, what the options are. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the, the one area I noticed, I'm, I'm an only child. So, mm-hmm. which I thought made the diagnosis and, and caretaking or caregiving incredibly challenging. On top of that, my dad was in mm. China, my mom was in China, and I had to travel back and forth. So mm. one area, one thing that people don't often talk about, which I'm learning, and I'm, I am I feel really privileged to be able to share this moment with you because I've also interviewed, I've interviewed a lot of people who currently have children at the hospital. So mm. it's really hard to talk about grief, though grief started a lot sooner than people's passing. So now you've had some time, both of us had, you know, 10 years or so, 12 years to process this. Um, what do you think are some of the things that people can look forward to, to create that bond among family members, some of the things that perhaps can just, the pain will never be lessened. Um, but there's something that we can do as people who are living to care for each other a little bit more. Personally, for me, I signed up for therapy for the first time in my life. Um, and what are some of the things that you remember to help with the family? Don't say anything stupid. Don't, don't, uh, there's a lot of stupid things said. I mean, death is hard to talk about, no matter if you're religious or not, no matter if you're a guy, girl, whoever you are. So, but I think for me, Jordan was such an impactful person in such a positive way. And someone who I didn't need a lot as a kid, as a basketball player, I didn't need a lot of coaching. I didn't need a lot of verbal encouragement. But if Jordan told me one thing, that could last me a very long time. So I, I don't, I have a, I don't know if that would be a big or small gas tank, but I can run for a long time. And so Jordan's life propelled me to be a better person naturally because it, it didn't it didn't spur me to be a, a worse person. I was definitely angry, frustrated at, you know, he had been dying for so long. So I was like, if this is going to happen, it needed to happen a while ago. So there's like logistical feelings and thoughts about that. And, you know, there's decisions of his care of doctor things that, I you know I'm 17 at the time, but I'm a pretty decisive person. And I felt like I could have been Jordan's caretaker in some ways. So there were some doctors that we didn't really love and mm-hmm. said things that were a little bit, you know, it wasn't bedside manner because these were life or death things. I wasn't worried about the way he said it. But mm-hmm. so for me, I mean, 
remembering him as one of the best things I can do. I, I just was around a lot of people who were afraid to talk about him. I was known as either this filmmaker guy or the guy whose brother died. And both of those people don't really get intimate with because it's it's just something that people didn't know what to do with. So for me, I wanted to talk about Jordan. Not every day, not every, you know, I don't have a face tattoo of him, but Jordan was this great person that why would you not want to go? Yeah, man, why would you not want to bring up that story that we did this one time forever ago when it comes up? Why would you not want to laugh about the things he did? And so for me, it didn't make sense how the world handled it. And so I felt very alone. I felt like I was the only person who knew Jordan for who he was and the only person who knew exactly who he was and was like, did anyone else not witness this? You guys have been around longer than I have. You know, that person maybe knew him for two years, but you knew what it was. It wasn't something you forget. It mm-hmm. wasn't, you don't need reminding. You don't watch the film 12 years later and go, oh yeah, you knew. Mm-hmm. You knew exactly. And so mm-hmm. I had this song to sing and, you know, I was just trying to build a, um, a microphone to sing it, I guess. So it's a work in progress. I mean, there's no, I don't have some like easy recipe. It's unique to everybody, but I find that sometimes if you're on the end of, of watching a loved one or a friend go through something, sometimes not speaking is some of the most helpful advice, depending on the person. I know we try to fill the space and we try to, to, to make every ending a happy one. And sometimes happy endings are an elusive dishonest thing and not that you can't be happy or not that you can't have joy about the ending at some point but i think there's just a false narrative that a lot of people proclaim that mm. have that everything has to be in its place and sometimes you know your room is messy mm. you know you had a long week you come home from vacation and you could be a very organized person but you got to put your bag down and unload it and that's life and to act like there's never clothes on your floor, there's never dust on your shelves is not realistic and for me dishonest. And I didn't want to have a dishonest post-death experience. So I'm very honest with what it is and what it feels like. And I think often the, the reflection of, quote, grief or sorrow reflects how much love was there at times because that's something that I never heard talked about. It was just, hey, time will heal all wounds and... I think most of the people saying that are not 99 and have lived a full life and gone, yeah, absolutely. I have no pain. I understand that it could be different, but that's not something I adopted. So a lot of the acronyms or phrases about grief or death were not helpful to me. Right. You know, making the film was definitely a therapy and being in those memories is therapy and trying to be a better person on Jordan's behalf and taking what Jordan was good at and, and, and putting what I'm good at and making a, a super soldier of us because his weaknesses, I, I strengthened and my weaknesses, my God, he strengthened. So I'm trying to combine us in one person and I, it's not possible, but a lot of people who have reached out after seeing the film, sharing their stories of death and my hope for them, uh, for anyone is that it propels you to be a better person and to use it for anything good that you can you know, to not let that pain go to waste and Mm -hmm. just be isolated, but to use it, let it fuel you, you know, let it wake you up in the morning, let it encourage you, let, let it be more empathetic. Let, let those things do what they must and don't hide from it because it's going to be painful and you're going to cry and you're going to be frustrated, but it can also propel you for many, many years. Like Jordan's encouragement could last me. I'm hoping, you know, I think Jordan's love and care for me can last me the rest of my life, even though I only got almost 18 years, which is a lot more than some people. So, 
It is such a generous act. There are a lot to quote you, to quote in general, you know, don't waste that pain. Let that pain fuel you. And I've been trying to answer that question myself for many years because my mom was at my dad's bedside for two years. She, mm. as a result, had a lot of um, health issues herself as a result of this event, which everybody else was surprised, but not me. You know, I saw what she was put through and dealing with a lot of really terrible bedside manners as well. Things like, oh, he's going to die. You know, Faye, you're not going to, he's not going to see your 25th birthday. All these things being said and mm. mentioned. Um, but for her, it's really interesting for my mom right now, to be honest, like she finds the dynamic of having to talk about even hearing other people's cancer draws tears to her eyes. She immediately mm. sees, you know, the pain that someone else goes through. She finds it incredibly, I mean, impossible to tolerate. Whereas I'm kind of the other way around. I, I want to let the pain fuel me in a way so I can be of contribution to other people. Uh, I've, mm. Like you, I've received a lot of phone calls, emails. My friend later on experienced death in the family. Um, mm. even younger people, it gives me, I guess joy is not the right word, to be able to be of service, to be helpful. I was mm. like, wow, I didn't waste this pain. You know, I, I didn't mm. waste it. And uh, to be able to talk to Dr. Miller about these things, to create a YouTube channel for him, help him understand the power. Uh, it, there are moments, I don't know how you feel it. There are moments where like, wait, what, what, what am I doing and and I for you to put out the film to connect because this could very well be your personal project. You can say that you know selfishly. I don't want to share this moment. It's my it's my gem. It's you know it's my little box of memories. I don't want to put yeah. them out there, but I'm so glad you did. I am too. I mean, it's 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 something that the amount of messages across social social media has been a surprise and, and something that's like a full-time job in its own right. And just a lot of the messages, whether it's like, Hey, I was suicidal. I'm not now. Like I, I hated life, but I saw Jordan loved it and I can't waste mine. So there's things like that. But then there's also people just saying, I just don't feel alone because again, people don't know how to talk about death. So people who have experienced it, you know, death is universal. If you're alive, you know about death. At some age, you will learn that people are no longer here in the physical realm. And just people saying, I, you know, I just didn't, that articulated how I felt about my sibling, my father, my brother, my wife. And mm -hmm. it was just something that I know COVID has been a hard year. And so I think the world kind of needed a good cry. And maybe this kind of broke the dam of the floodgates. But it's something to be reminded that there's so much pain. You know, you go to a restaurant and, and you shouldn't just see the person in front of your, that's in front of you in the line as someone who's just in front of you in the line. They could be that kid Jack's parents who had just buried their kid. They could be you. And I think if it can change your perspective, which it should, it has to, it will for better or for worse. And I think that's something that has such potency in the world. It's the difference maker with one person in a, in a mix of a hundred, you know, it's, it's some bad thing happens in life and everyone runs away. You need that one person that runs towards the sound, towards the chaos. You need that one person. And so there's few of us in this world that have experienced those things that can be those people that the world needs on behalf of our loved ones, because maybe they were that for us mm -hmm. and maybe it can propel us because man, if you have breath, don't waste it. And I, I sure don't want to waste mine. And Jordan, you know, he lived a full life of what he was able to, but yeah, it's a tough question. I just, I for sure, I made it for myself. I wanted to watch it. I wanted to remember, but I knew that 
at some point the world can do what they will with it. And the fact that it's connect, connected, and I know it's just because of the, the magic in a bottle that Jordan is, that's something that has brought on a new wave of, of empathy and, and awareness to what's around me and to who's around me, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are. People mm-hmm. that don't even feel comfortable sharing things, but they'll message me because they knew I've bled for something. You know, they could feel that in the film. And sorry, my stomach just growled really loud. I don't know if you're. Uh, <laughs> no, I thought it was a truck. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, there there is a loud road by my apartment. But yeah, that's been something that has been really cool to hear. Is just people not feeling alone by seeing the film, or not are feeling, or their love for their loved one feeling valued. That it is powerful to not let that die with them, and to not feel bad about missing somebody. You mm-hmm. miss them because it was great. It's there's nothing wrong with missing somebody, and I think there's a preconceived notion, at least in my circle, that to move on and uh, and to not, you know, there's just some negative things that you go, who taught you this? Like, who 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 taught you this? And and there's a lot of things about society and traditions that I don't think we've ever questioned before. And I certainly question everything. So I find that there's not answers for the questions that I have. And then I go, well, that's bogus. I don't live by that. You know, mm-hmm. so if I live by that, I would have never made this film. I would have you know, waited for someone to finance something for some grieving brother and that would have never happened. So I'm not waiting for you. I've never waited for anybody. You know, I'm not waiting at the bus stop. And as a filmmaker and as a person, that's how I live my life. But yeah, I'm I'm rambling now, so I'll stop. No, you're not rambling at all. (laughs) This is the juice of it all because this morning I saw a banner from ConvertKit out of all places. says the future belongs to the creators. And I Mm. want to add so many more taglines. And... Um, I, people ask me about filmmaking. I said, I'm really, I am not Justin's level. I'm not my friend Kang Ang's level. who has been doing this for so long. I'll tell you that what people tell you that the harder thing than making the film is to fund it. And I know mm-hmm. people who are willing to sell blood. I mean, yeah. kind of, my friend Ken was so honest. He's like, right, I'm 42. I have no idea how I made this work for 20 years. No clue. And yeah. it's so hard. And for you to not wait for anybody for this film you know, I tell people if I'm willing to do something for free, and I'm sure you did not pay yourself, to, you know, there'd for be this no project, money to pay me with. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even have to ask because I didn't pay myself for the whole time. If you have to work on that project during the pandemic and eight, seven years before that, that means you have to work on this project. I think this is the most important project. Not to diss any of the other ones, but this is the yeah. most important one. And um, you know, you're doing the world uh, a, a service, even though you didn't even set out to do this. That's not your intention, but we can see the, we can just see the, the benefit of it. Somebody, all those messages that you mentioned, oh my God, can you, can you, it doesn't matter if this person is 20, 40, 60 years old, you change that one person's life multiplied by all those messages you received and millions of people you haven't heard from, you probably will never hear from. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to hear, I'm going to go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 you go. I, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to get into moments where you and Jordan got into a a fight or fights when you're growing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But please, I think you're going, you're, you want to answer something else first. (laughs) No, I was just, uh, on the messages on the front of the messages. This has been cool to hear from people all over the world because on YouTube, it tells me that the viewership is 55% in the U S you know, mm. so Jeez. that leaves a lot for the rest of the world and just people stating, hey, I'm from Australia. Hey, I'm from the UK. Hey, I'm from 
you know, Iraq, hey, I'm from, it's just been really cool to hear because as a filmmaker, as a person, you don't want to ever live in a small bubble. You don't want yeah. to be a local filmmaker. You don't, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being local or living in the same town for the rest of your life. But I think there's some diversity that's needed in the world in many ways. And having a film that's about this homeschool kid just be seen by every ethnicity, every gender and and all over the world has been really cool to see that there's kind of a Jordan. Like Jordan was someone who was universal. I had seen him with everyone, every kind of walk of life. He just kind of was a puzzle piece for everybody. He was a a welcome person to the party, whether he spoke your language or not. And so to be reminded of that by all these messages and support from people all over the world that go, you know it when you see it. Mm. A language barrier might happen. A You know, he's a different ethnicity than you, but you know it when you see it. Jordan yeah. is the guy that every dad would have let their daughter marry. You could yeah. let Jordan babysit your kids. You could give him your debit card and say, can you hold on to this? And he'll never look at your numbers. You know, like he's just that trustworthy yeah. person. So hearing from people, just, I mean, widows, widowers, like aunts, uncles, spouses, brothers, just people that, you know, haven't cried since the funeral, just sharing of like what it made them feel and those glory days for them. It's just been really beautiful and encouraging, but... Wow. To answer your question about the fights, we kind of had an unsaid rule that there wasn't any really shots to the face. So we would <laughs> sl- slug each other and, you know, st- stomach through each other. But we never really went to bed without saying, hey, I love you, dude. So we might go at it. Like one story, it was late at night and I'm probably eighth grade. He was three years older, so he might be a junior in high school. And at that time, we, our two oldest brothers that were in college, so we actually had our own room for the first time in our lives because we were always roommates. And we got into it for some reason, and I was a lot faster than him, a lot shorter. And so I could, like, take a cheap shot and run, and I'd be laughing. He'd have to come and chase me. But Jordan was very forgiving, and he never gave me what I deserved. Either I ducked or I was too quick or he was just so sympathetic to my size. But for whatever reason, I found myself, you know, I had his legs wrapped up, and he kind of had me in a headlock. And for my size, I was a pretty strong kid. And in a rage, I picked him up and kind of like threw him off of me. And and his back hit the door, which then hit the wall. And the handle of the door put a hole in the wall about 12 by 8 inches. Just took a like a soft piece of the drywall, just bam, took it out. And we both stopped because, you know, that meant my dad was probably going to hear that. And then we were going to get in trouble. And we both stopped and went, I love you, dude, and went to bed. And then we told our mom the next day. And I can't remember... We had to pay for the for the fix, but I don't even think we ever told our dad because my mom actually let us figure that one out because sometimes a third party and like a brother dispute is not helpful, whether it's a parent or someone else, go let them figure it out. Me and Jordan will definitely figure it out. There's never anything that we never figured out. We could go to war, but it got figured out on our own time. So there was something, it wasn't, you know, we weren't always throwing, throwing hands at each other, but when we did, it was like respectfully... Uh, throne, if that makes sense, just because we had so much love for each other, even if we were at, you know, our ends in that moment. It's probably more rare than I give credit for just because we loved each other so much, but we definitely went at it from time to time. And and I was someone that could press anybody's buttons. So if you didn't have one, I'd build that button and jump on it in front of you. And you'd be like, there's no way you can get under my skin. And you're like, I'm really good at this. So Jordan put up with a lot with having me as his younger brother. Yeah. Wow. I hope your wife will be listening to this episode and discover all these nuances of uh, <laughs> managing your expectations. Um, oh, man. Yeah, she's got the second toughest job now. <laughs> 
But you know, what's also interesting is I'm hearing, I, I, I didn't have to ask you, the film portrayed both of you as very different people because in reality you are. And mm -hmm. I do see uh, Jordan as someone, exactly like you said, very trustworthy, um, very easy to get along, you know, and um, also it, just the way that his sense of fashion from what I can see in the photo, like he, you know, he, he to me, he blends in more easily, but in mm -hmm. a way that, you know, he has a big heart looking out for you. Whereas the way that you describe you, first of all, you're a filmmaker, so that says a lot. And you said you're more fashionable, you're more stylish. So now I'm sitting here thinking like, how could you guys get along so well if you're so different? Or what mm -hmm. are moments, what are the things you maybe don't be like, dude, why you ever wear that hat? That jacket is stupid. Like, do you, like, tell me more about that. I mean, you know, so Jordan died in August 19th of 08. And I wouldn't say the, the mid 2000s were a, a fashion thing you know you still had the bag of jeans and polos and growing up homeschooled pastor's kid you wore hand-me-downs and often the coolest thing you could wear would be like a Chicago Bulls Michael Jordan shirt but most of the time we had to wear you know ties and dress shirts which I still hate to this day but yeah. I was just someone that uh, you know I love fashion so in another life I feel like I could have been an interior designer I could have been you know, some sort of private detective. I could have been some sort of fashion designer, just someone that I, I love things that fit well. I love things that that maybe pop. I love, you know, layers. And, and Jordan loved that about me. So like if we grew up not not allowed to get a haircut that we liked, you know, it had to be this certain way because, you know, we were pastor's kids and had to live up to this thing. But when we finally could pay for our own haircuts and when Jordan had lost his hair one time, I shaved. I had like sort of a little mohawk, which was very, you know, against the grain in our world. And I remember Jordan was <laughs> like, well, that's awesome. Kind of so anything I did, if I stepped out of line or wore like something that was longer than the average T-shirt, he kind of respected me for it, even if he wasn't the type of person that was going to pull it off. So we just had this kind of, you know, I would kind of push his boundaries a little bit. Like, Jordan, you could wear that. It's the same thing I would do to anybody. Like, if, if you're like, oh, I kind of like that dress or that shirt or that hoodie. And I'm like, you could totally wear it, you know. Mm. You just The only thing you can't wear it is you can't wear it unconfidently because then you're not wearing it. So if you can wear That's it confidently, right. you can wear it. If it's a, you know, you don't have to hunt to wear camo. If you like camo, go for it. And so I've just kind of been that way with fashion. And, and that was something that Jordan... I think respected about me because I wasn't thinking about what people thought. I didn't operate that way. So you could think, oh my God, he shouldn't wear that. That's too big for him. That's doesn't bother me. You know, I, if I operated on, on people's thoughts, you know, I, I just don't know how you would exist. So Jordan was someone who was very sensitive and I was someone who was not insecure. I was around a lot of insecurity as a kid and I saw quickly that that's not a good thing or a helpful thing. It's a disease that runs in everyone to a degree, but some a lot worse than others. And so there was something that I was just kind of born more confident in myself. There's a lot of things in the world that are going to come up that I'm not going to know how to handle, but confidence is one of them. And so through Jordan, he was not unconfident, but he was just a little bit more humble, a little more bashful. So when we played basketball, I was kind of his, his demon on the shoulder, his angel on the shoulder, whispering confidence into him to go, you're good enough. You're here for a reason. You know, you lead the county in three-point shots because you can shoot. So shoot the ball. Don't be passive. Don't play passive. You know, and Jordan would tend to be more passive, and I was more fiery. He was more, you know, the water that would cool off the fire. And so that was one of the reasons that I think our dynamic worked because 
if there had been another brother in his place, I'd probably be in jail for murder. It just wouldn't have worked. And so Jordan was just this, he was anything you needed him to be, and I needed him to be a lot. So I know he did a lot for me that maybe he probably didn't want to, to film as many videos as he wanted or didn't want to go out and shoot more with me, but he always did mm. because I mattered to him. And I didn't matter to a lot of people in that way. That's why as a kid, you I often remember the adults or the older kids who played with me. And I also remember the ones who didn't, who were mm. too cool for school. And so when those people that bent down got to my level, respected me as a person, didn't treat me like a kid in a diaper, but played with me or saw me as an equal because I was always short. I was always younger than everybody. So whenever I played basketball, I was way shorter, way younger, but I felt like I deserved to be on the court just like you. And athletically and mentally I did. Mm -hmm. And Jordan never saw me as that short, underaged, you know, point guard on our team. That's like a distraction visually. He's an eighth grader playing varsity. Jordan just saw me as a point guard. And that was something that not a lot of people can do and did not do for me. So you know, it was it was easy to return that love for someone like that. It was natural. I played basketball. You know, wow. Together on the same team, you and Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. You're well, you're quite uh, extraordinary in, in that sense because the three years is a big difference, right? Um yeah. so you were a freshman. Last year he was a senior. Yeah. And on the same varsity team. Oh wow, I do remember mm. now. It's true. It's it's yeah. you rarely recruit someone of that big of an age gap, but sometimes it just happens. Yeah. Yeah. And if wow. he would have stayed and played at college, he was playing college at the time. If he would have mm -hmm. been a freshman, I probably would have played. Or if he would have been a senior, I would have played at a freshman together just to go to that mm -hmm. same school to play with him. That's probably how it would have turned out. But I'm not a big hypothetical person. But if he hadn't died, my love for basketball wouldn't have died. So college basketball was a goal of mine. So I'm sure I would have played, but yeah. So I was playing high school as a sixth grader a couple times and we was a homeschool team. So there wasn't a big roster, but I was also one of the few point guards and I was confident enough and crazy enough. Those coaches would put me in and I'd be up to their, you know, the player's waist on their senior night and I'm six grades younger, but I'm, you know, probably more mentally capable than they were. But so I was yeah. just kind of thrown into the fire and I felt like I belonged and Jordan Jordan proved to me that I belonged. He didn't treat me like other people saw me. They saw me yeah. as short, cute. No, look at that little fireball. He's cute, but he's playing high school, so we're not going to outside. You play me as hard as you would anybody else. And yeah. uh, we got the opportunity to play a lot of high school basketball together through my seventh and eighth and specifically the ninth grade year for me. So I, I couldn't be, believe it. it took me like 45 minutes to realize. At the beginning of the film, you said, you know, we... We're pastors' kids. And I just, I completely forgot about that. In fact, and <laughs> not until you brought it, I was like, yeah. Because I, I look at the way you dress and your, your choice of career, the way that you create. And it's, it was my own misconception to to judge people, right? So that, that's something that we really shouldn't be doing sometimes. And, you know, I... And it's just fascinating. It reminded me, one of my friends, um, one of my friends, Gustavo, was born with PFFD, which means he's, his limbs were not fully developed. Um, one of his arms is almost completely missing. But knowing him through Zoom this whole time, we don't live in the same place. I actually didn't even realize. I didn't know. I didn't fully understand this rare disease. I didn't know what was involved. So the whole time I was treating him completely as equal. Be like, yo, Gustavo, you got to write you got to finish writing that website copy. You got to hurry up. Come on. You're delayed. You're pushing mm -hmm. out of the timeline. And in retrospect, I realized that was the most beautiful thing to treat each other as equal. You know, mm -hmm. if he were going to say something, he would have said something to me. 
but I never judge our relationship or, or give him a different set of rules and guidelines. And, uh, it's so beautiful. Um, Mm. I know I want to respect your time, but I kind of have some fashion questions to ask. We want to make it about you. <laughs> okay, go for it. For a moment here, because I'm also uh, very, I, I feel like this pandemic has made me lazy. You know, I think we are, <laughs> most of us are not wearing pants anymore and like just removing <laughs> any sense of style and touch up. Um, but, you know, what are some of the, uh, I don't know, brand styles that are happening that I, you feel like really represents you? Like what are some of the things that you oh. like to wear, put on. I don't I don't wear stuff sheerly for the brand outside of Michael Jordan's brand. Just because it's, uh, you know, like basketball was me and Jordan's uh. kind of summation of our brotherhood. Like if, if you ever got to witness us together, mm-hmm. if you got to see it on the court, you'd be like, oh, I get it. That's like yin and yang. There it is. I see. Those kids are brothers and they love each other. So... I, I'm not, I'm not in the know of like, you know, these expensive brands in France or Gucci or whatever it is. I just kind of wear what's comfortable. I, often I find the coolest things when I'm not looking for it, you mm-hmm. know, things at a store, a thrift store, the mall, whatever it is. I just go, yeah. And I love stuff that's really random and, and, and kind of weird. Like right now I'm wearing a hockey jacket. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a hockey jersey jacket. They're kind of bigger, the... The hood is actually bigger. I don't watch hockey, but it's just one of those things I randomly saw and go, you know, not many people have that. And I love that, that, that aspect of, I found a jacket recently. I love jackets. It's a love language for me. And you find something, you go, no one else has that or no one else in who I am. That's a specific type of jacket worn for this type of profession. I love Mm -hmm. wearing stuff like that. So I don't know if I have any tips or, you know, I just, I try to encourage people, whether it's my wife or a friend, you know, often my two oldest brothers who are pastors when they were kind of early on in their careers, I guess they would always ask me for fashion advice because they're both, that's not a precedent for what they do. So they'd often call me, Hey, can I wear this? And then, you know, my, my opinion would often like, like, what really? You're like, you called me, you asked, you know, I'll I'll shoot straight with you, but or they would just give me their debit card and say, hey, go buy me these things. But I try yeah, to encourage people amazing. just to be confident because a lot yeah. more people, you know, girls in particular, they, they might want to wear like, oh, I don't know. I've always wanted to wear like a zebra print thing. And and you're like, you know, there's some leggings out there that are some zebra print thing that you could rock at your yoga workouts. And people be like, oh, wow. So I, I think just being more confident in who they are, I think with clothes that can help. But I think it's it's an internal thing before the clothes are put on. So... You certainly want to, I don't know, I want to encourage people, whoever you are, to if you want to be the most mundane, you wear earth-colored stuff, go for it. You don't have to be, you know, flamboyant, but if you want to be, you wear a turtleneck, you know? Turtlenecks are in, they're out, who cares? Yeah, yeah. I the, the, You're striking the core here is about self-expression. I feel like my whole life, you know, growing up in Beijing and, and you know, part of a, a, the educational system that's extremely strict and coming out here when I was 17, that, that was life-changing. And it's, mm-hmm. it's been um, in the work, in the making for 20 years now um, since I arrived here. But I always felt like self-expression is not optional. It, <laughs> it's very necessary as part of one's self, you know, uh, um, well-being. And it sounds to you as well. Why do you think why do you find your self-expression to be so primary for you? And why do you feel like, why do you want to encourage other people to do the same? Which your film has done so already. I think, you know, dressing oneself as someone that 
at this point in my life. And I think for most people, no one's doing for them. You know, when you're two or three or four, whenever you start dressing yourself, I think it's, you know, you might have a little kid that puts on his pajamas that goes to church or whatever. And they go, that's not for, you know, for me, the ability to dress yourself is no one's telling you what to wear. So I think there's a little bit of that where there's a lot of rules in life, a lot of traditions, a lot of things that you're supposed to hold to. And with dressing, I nah, you could do whatever you want. You could wear, you could wear sweatpants to that. You could wear, you know, you don't have to do this. So I think there's a little bit of that. I don't like being told things to do, especially when I don't agree with it. Of just like, well, tell me why that is the way that it is. Well, that's just the way that it's been done. You know, I went to a college to where you weren't allowed to wear hats inside. Why? Why is that? Mm-hmm. And it even went so far as they had these RAs to tell you if you were wearing a hat or a beanie inside the building. And it was a Christian school, so there was some like, you know, some silly religious rules like that where it's like, I mean, hats, really? Like even in the winter, guys, girls, whoever. And one time Jordan going through chemo was sitting in the cafeteria and was pretty self-conscious about the weight he had lost and his bald head. And not many people are usually look better with chemo. You know, there's some people that look more angelic or... You, you can almost see their truer self. And not many people are doing that for fashion. They're not taking chemo to go, look at me. Mm-hmm. And this guy came up and told Jordan to take his hat off. And I said, he has cancer. And the guy said, take your hat off. And I said, he has cancer. And uh, I stood up ready to kill this guy. And Jordan said, don't worry about it. And he took his hat off. Years later, after I graduated, there's no hat rules and a lot of the rules that when me and Jordan went there that, are, that make no sense. So I think there's things like that where you go, it's setting a rule and people can discipline you for it. And I don't agree with it. So, you know, if I want to wear a hat inside or, or not, or I don't know. So there's partially that I'm definitely an outlaw in a lot of ways. I don't like to capitalize my letters. You know, you say you, you why don't you capitalize? You're like, well, I don't want to, you know, it's just, uh, I, I'm not an easy, uh, I'm a questionable person in those things. They just say, why do you do this? You're like, why do I have to do it? Not mm-hmm. to piss anybody off. I just, I don't find that that way, you know, why do basketball coaches have to wear suits and ties every game? I don't know. I'm not if against suit not and like ties, that. but. If you're not yeah. thinking like that, this film will never be made, will never be shot, made, and certainly will not be released. A lot of people don't realize those are different phases of things and each Definitely. comes in monumental ways. Uh, yeah. You know, that was my biggest fear of finally making, editing the film and have no budget or no way of marketing it. So, uh, I think you're really, I think you're made this way for a reason. That's why, you know, the, uh, you know, four kids, I know your parents have four boys, which is a lot to handle, but everybody mm-hmm. is there, you know, really for a purpose. And, you know, y- your yeah. purpose, it's to tell not only your family story, but to inspire other people as well. Um, so, yeah, wow, this is, this has been great. What are some of the things like, uh, Justin, I, I haven't asked, but your tip of your tongue, you're like, man. I wish she did hmm. or something else I'm going to share. I don't have anything off the top of my head. I mean, I'm trying to figure out this book. I've never written a book. I've dabbled in like a sort of memoir about just some weird stories in my life, but this is a new process. So trying to condense things and also there's just a lot of stories that, you know, the generation before us maybe without the lack, with, with the lack of technology or the ability to have an iPhone to record a video, like there's just a lot of stories that die and disappear because it, it was, if it wasn't said from the tongue, it's gone. And even if it was, the ears that heard it are also dead. So I think there's just a beauty and a, there's a responsibility for us 
who are creative or people who shoulder a lot of stories, it's a part of our job as a human to get them out and to tell them because whether it's it's for a laugh or it's it's this really funny thing, whether it's this really, you know, crazy thing that, you know, for example, there was this guy who was the hospital chaplain. And when Jordan died, my parents asked him to do the funeral. He did the funeral. We didn't really have a relationship with him. He was a nice guy. All through the years that I lived in that area where Jordan had died, I, I would see him around town. And a lot of people did this. And so I thought it was semi-normal. They just didn't know what to do with me because they knew I was the brother. And I'm not the most approachable person just by the way I look. I think people people assume I have tattoos, which I don't. People just assume, you know, they, they're like, and then I tell them I was homeschooled. And they're like, what? You were homeschooled? And you're like, I mean, whatever perception you have, it's probably wrong, but I'll let you have it. If you want to meet me and then you get a new one, I'm here for you. But this guy I would see all the time and go, oh, he like ignores me. I, but everybody did that. But then I learned that he had a twin brother, an identical twin brother. And this guy's like in his 70s. And so just a quirky thing that I had been seeing this guy all over town, it wasn't him. It was his twin brother who did not know me, who was not a hospital chaplain. So there's stories like that that, that are sort of meaningless, but also in the midst of a couple of years after your brother's death, you see this guy that you think should, hey, how are you? You know, good to see you. You, yeah. like you would for sure remember me, right? Like you, if you don't remember me from my brother's funeral, like maybe you should, have, you know, do another job. So there's stories that I certainly want to, archive again that I haven't via the documentary and via this book. So a lot of people that have these stories, I would, I would encourage them to write them down. Even if it's a Facebook post, even if it's a Instagram post, you know, a dream you had about your loved one, I think that stuff, you'll come back to it. And I don't think you'll ever regret writing it. Even if you never publish it or post it or do anything with it, I think that's something that I've learned in my own. It might not be good. It might not be well, well written, but I think it'll be beneficial for you. Even if you never come back to it, the fact that you did it, it's an accomplishment to get that thought out of your head. And I think it helps us communicate better. And I think our responsibility as humans, as loved ones, as brothers, you know, daughters, whoever, to communicate well. And I think death, death has helped me articulate a lot about life and and be more aware of communication and the ability to, you know, everyone strives to be good at things. Uh, professions mm -hmm. and athletics, but not a lot of people strive to be good humans and to be good communicators and, or to be empathetic. So I think there's a skill and I think there's something to be learned every day in that regard, let alone whatever we do for work, whatever we do to pay bills. That's something that I feel like is forgotten and mm -hmm. something that I don't want to forget is like we, 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 we learn skills all the time about these other things. You know, they teach math in school, but they don't teach, hey, how do you call your friend after their sister died? I'm not saying there should be a class, but I'm just saying, you know, we should be aware that it's a, there's a discrepancy in how we communicate as humans. We should talk maybe, about it at least. We yeah. should absolutely talk about the hard things in life. And like you said, yeah. last night, I just, last night I posted a, a message in my creative entrepreneurs group expressing myself that um, it, it feels so, such a healthy relationship, which we don't talk about what a healthy relationship should feel and looks like, should look like. And I, I even said, I remember just like you said, I said, hey guys, I'm just midnight here and this is not even an official holiday. I, I This is how I feel and I want to talk about it. And it mm. doesn't matter if people like it, hearted, whatever it is. But like you said, for us to capture and to reflect that moment, um, who cares if it doesn't make it into a film or even part of the book? And I'm now really curious to see all the behind the scenes things, whether it was shot alongside of Jordan's film or maybe nuance, like new things that you've uncovered as a result of post-launching the film. I, yeah. You know, that's that's the area that's like, I don't, I loved, I'm so glad I 
put together a bunch of segments for my documentary behind the scenes. Sitting here before talking to you, I was like, what am I supposed to do with all this footage? Like, what am I... What am I supposed to do? And now I was like, I know exactly what to do with all this. Yeah. And it's wonderful. I think uh, I did make a behind the scenes about the film and there's some stuff I can send you. But I, th- yeah, I yeah. on the topic of communicating and talking about things, I think it's kind of like water. You know, you, you have to drink it to survive. It's hydrating to talk about it. It might not be the most well said, but I, I try to live my life that it's much more beneficial for me mentally, internally, emotionally to have said it even if it might offend or, you know, land like a rough, a rough plane landing, I probably wouldn't be the best pilot. You know, I'd get you there, but it might be a rough landing. But you'll, you'll know I'm honest and you'll know I'm telling you, hey, there's a rough landing coming. So I think the hydration of communication is really helpful and something that, that I've benefited from, to be honest. Because, I, you know, you just grow up and you realize the older you get and you look at the adults in the room and you go like, you were who's supposed to know these things. And then a lot of people, and everyone's just trying to figure it out and they don't know. And you're going, well, at least I can do, at least the one thing I can't do is be honest. There's a lot I can't do. There's a lot I can't fix, but I can be honest. And if that's one of the few things I can do, I think that's a success in some ways. So that's one, one, of, the thi- one of the reasons I made the film is to be honest, even if it's, quote, sad for some people or it's heartbreaking or hard to watch, it's the truth. And I think that's what us as filmmakers, as people should do. It's our responsibility to tell the truth. We might not have all the answers. We might ask some questions, but the truth that we do know, we can talk about that. <laughs>